In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will study tonight Psalm 18 from the Psalms of our teacher David the Prophet. And Psalm 18 is a long psalm, 50 verses. And there are only three psalms longer in the entire Holy Book of Psalms. Psalm 78, Psalm 89, and Psalm 119. And its length is well suited to its theme, as described in the title. Even the title of this psalm is one of the longer titles. Only there is another title that's longer than this title, which is Psalm 60. The title of this psalm, To the Chief Musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. This is the title. It's a very long title. But it is a song of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude because God delivered David from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of King Saul. That's why it's a long psalm to give God the praise that is befitting him. This psalm is the same like the psalm sung by David at the very end of his life. And this psalm is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 22. In the title, David says it is written for the chief musician. Who is the chief musician? Many commentators said it is God himself. Some others said it is to the maestro that leads the choir in singing this song. Also, David tells us about himself. And he did not title himself king of Israel, but he titled himself servant of the Lord. David did not mention anything about his royalty because he counted a higher honor to be the servant of the Lord than to be the king of Israel. Also, he told us about the occasion in which he wrote this psalm when God delivered him from all his enemies and from King Saul. So, possibly after the death of King Saul, or maybe after the period that led to the enthronement of David. And some commentators believe this is a poem of victory that David recorded at the end of his life after he had rested from all his enemies. As I told you, we find another identical son before the end of his life in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Also, the title mentioned the name of King Saul. Uh, In many other psalms, David is asking God to deliver him. But in this psalm, Actually, David is already delivered, so so he is thanking God and praising God for that deliverance. Some commentators also said this psalm can apply it in its entirety to the Lord Jesus Christ. And St. Paul quoted this psalm twice concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 15, 9 and in Hebrew chapter 2 verse 13 
This sum is not included in the Agbaya. The outline of the psalm from verse 1 to 3, David deliverance by the Lord. From 4 to 6, the danger that made David cry out to the Lord. From 7 to 15, the remarkable deliverance that God brought to David. From 16 to 19, David sat in safety. From 20 to 24, God delivered David because of his righteousness. From 25 to 27, an abiding principle of God's dealing with men, how God deals with us. From verse 28 to 30, God gives his light and word to Emperor David. From 31 to 36, God gives David strength and skill. From 37 to 42, God gives David victory over his enemies. From 43 to 49, God establishes David's throne. And the last verse 50, God blesses his anointed, the king. So let's start from verse 1. Verse 1. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The opening of this psalm is very remarkable. And the word, the Hebrew word that's translated in English, I will love you, expresses the very tenderest affection and love of the deepest kind. And this was a declaration made in a season of great triumph after David was delivered from all his enemies he composed this psalm I told you there is another identical psalm in 2nd Samuel 22 but this first verse you will not find it in 2nd Samuel 22 St. Augustine comments on the verse 1 and says Christ then and the church that is the whole Christ because Christ is the head and we are the body so Christ and the church say to the Father I will love you O Lord my strength I will love you O Lord by whom I am strong so as if we are saying to God we love you because you are the source of our strength. Verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He gave many titles here to God. So, David knew this to be true before God delivered him from his enemies. He knew it by faith. But now, David is thinking this psalm from a different perspective. Now he knew it by experience in a greater way than ever before. Because now God delivered him. So he gave him all these titles. And the idea in verse 2 that David owed his safety entirely to God. God had been unto him a rock, a tower, a shield. Because David had found God so like a tower, shield, rock in the greatest dangers and difficulties that he faced. The word rock here has reference to the fact that in the time of a danger, a massive rock would be sought as a place of safety. The men usually try to hide and to escape from their enemies behind a massive rock. 
And the word fortress, fortress means a place of defense, a place so strengthened that an enemy could not approach it, a place where one is safe. Also, he said to the Lord, you are my deliverer, because God delivered him out of all afflictions, of all temptations, out of the hands of all his enemies. Then he said, my God, my God is a strong and mighty one who is able to save, who is a father, a true father to all his people. God for David was the one who empowered to him who to survive against his enemies and to defeat them. That's why he called him my shelter, my refuge, a place of strength and safety, the one who made, made for me a way to escape from my enemies. Those who truly love God may thus triumph in Him and may have confidence to call upon Him. As He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, in whom I will trust. Those who love God, they put all their trust in Him. Then he called God Horn, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. The horn to the animals means their defense, and the strength of the animal lies in their horn. So the word used here, horn, to represent that we owe our protection and defense when we are in danger to God. So the idea here is that God is a mean of defense for us. God to David is like a high tower to which he runs and is safe when he is in danger. David in his life had hidden in caves and among the rocks several times. But he found in God his true protection, not in the caves or in these rocks. Actually, all the description in verse 2, we can say it about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is my rock, means I will build my spiritual house, not on the sand, but on the solid rock. Jesus Christ. The Lord is my fortress, mean the Lord built a fortress around me to protect me from the attacks of the devil. The Lord is my deliverer because he delivered me from all my sins. I will not trust any other God before him. I will trust him only. And in my weakness, God makes me strong. Verse 3, I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call, so shall I be saved from my enemies. St. Augustine commented on verse 3 and said, Seeking not my own, but the Lord's glory. David was not seeking his own glory, but the Lord's glory. I will call upon him, and there shall be no means whereby the errors of ungodliness can hurt me. So when I call him, all the ungodly people or the ungodliness around me will not hurt me. In previous Psalms, David cried out to God, from times of intense crisis when he was in danger. But now he is crying out to God 
with the same strength to praise him for his deliverance. So I will call upon the Lord. Many times we cry when we are in trouble, but after God delivers us, we forget to cry out to praise him. When he said, I will call, it is not an expression of confidence in the future, but it is expression of total confidence of God's faithfulness in answering my prayer. As he said, I will call, so shall I be saved. I will call, so shall I be saved. So he is confident that God is faithful to answer me and to deliver me. He is singing joyfully, believing that in all future conflicts, God would deal with him as he dealt with him in the past and delivered him from all his enemies. Verse 4. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. So here David described two threats. The first one, the threat of death. And the second one, the threat of flood of ungodliness. Flood of ungodliness. When he spoke about death, he represented death as a hunter who goes out with nets and cords surrounding and holding his victim. David was in imminent danger of death. And in the midst of such pangs and sorrows, he felt that he is on the verge of death. Maybe he referred to a certain period in his life when he was persecuted by King Saul, as we read in seconds in First Samuel 26:20 that he was hunted upon the mountains by King Saul and expected continually to be caught and put to death. That's the first threat. The second one, the flood of ungodliness. The overwhelming presence of ungodliness around him, people make a conspiracy with King David, his son Absalom, turned against him. So all this ungodliness around him was a significant trial to David. The number of the ungodly people, their strength, the violent assaults, breaking in upon him like a flood in such a way. That's why he said the flood of ungodliness meaning he was overwhelmed by all this ungodliness. As a one who is attacked by floods of water, that's why he said, made me afraid of losing my life. But these two threats we can apply to the Lord Jesus Christ, including all the sorrows of his life to the time of his death, the Bible describes the Lord Jesus Christ a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief personally. He bore and carried our sorrows and our griefs. The main sorrow that the Lord suffered was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was about to carry all our sins, this is the cup that he drank. He became a sin, as St. Paul said, and he became a curse. Verse 5, The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. So this was another way of saying that David was threatened by death. Sheol is a different word or another word for grave or death. 
So he said, the sorrow of death surrounded me. Then he said, the snares of death confronted me. Snares refers to traps, nets, which are used in taking wild animals by suddenly throwing cords around them and binding them fast. So the idea here that David has many traps around him, many conspiracies around him to plan for his death. But what did he do? Verse 6, he tells us, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. In my distress, David here is not referring to a particular case or situation but he is saying my custom or my norm when I am in deep distress and danger what I used to do is to call upon God and every time I found God to be ready to help in my distress I called upon the Lord and I cried out to my God That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did in Gethsemane. He prayed to God the Father. And we Christians, when we are in distress, either from sin or Satan or the world around us, we need to learn how to call upon the Lord. Many of us, when we are in distress, we become disappointed with God and we stop praying. That's wrong. When we are in distress, we need God. Don't fight with God, but tell Him, I need you now. A time of distress is a time of prayer. And what a great privilege we have as Christians that we can call God during the time of stress and He will hear us. We as Christians, We have this throne, the throne of God, to come to when we are in distress, to ask for grace and mercy to help ourselves in the time of need. And always, always, we will find our God to sympathize with us and to help us. And our God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, knows our need and he is ready to help us. David said, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. Which temple? The temple of Jerusalem was not built during the time of David. So the temple here means his dwelling place, his heaven. David knew that God had a temple, a heavenly temple, which was the model of the tabernacle that Moses built and later was also a model for the temple of Solomon. So he means God heard my prayer from heaven. St. Paul, when he spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane, he said in chapter in Hebrews 5, verse 7, Who, Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, to the Father, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. The cry of our Lord Jesus Christ was heard. How did we know? because of his resurrection from the dead and obtaining the glory and the kingdom. St. Augustine comments on verse 6 saying, God heard from my heart where he dwells. So God dwells in my heart. So when we cry to God, 
God hears from my heart my voice and my cry is in his sight and my cry in his sight entered into his ears meaning my cry which I utter not in the ears of men but inwardly before him himself entered into the ears of God then starting from verse 7 how God answered God actually made a storm to answer David he turned heaven and earth to deliver David so verse 7 then the earth shook and trembled the foundation of the hills are also quaked and were shaken because he was angry so the sudden outbreak of the storm is the divine answer to the prayer of David the coming of God for deliverance of his servant David is also a coming to judge his enemies that's why he came with anger the Lord is fast, speedy, haste prompt to rescue his children and the anger of God against the enemies of David produced the entire disturbance which he is describing the entire disturbance in the whole world and I want you to know how the most solid and immovable things feel the power of supplication the earth shook and trembled the foundation of the hills also quaked and were shaken because God was angry and when we read the earth shook and trembled this actually happened when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross after Christ called upon the Father earthquake and the the earth shook not only that but in Acts chapter 4 when Christians were praying together the place where they were assembled was shaken this is the power of prayer the earth was shaken is a symbol or a sign of the presence of God among us prayer has shaken houses opened prison doors as happened with Paul and Silas and Peter and made hard unyielding hearts to tremble the shaking and trembling of earth is used as a symbol of the presence of God also as a symbol of the greatness of his majesty verse 8 smoke went up from his nostril and devouring fire from his mouth coals were kindled by it smoke from his nostril consuming fire from his mouth coals were kindled by it this description of a smoke arising or coming from his nostril and fire breaking forth from his mouth in a figurative way symbolizes the greatness of the anger of God we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 3 that God sent forth smoke when he was angry with the people therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire he will destroy them and bring them down before you so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you Deuteronomy 9 verse 3 also in Hebrew 12 9 29 
St. Paul said about God, our God is a consuming fire. If God is a consuming fire, it would be only natural for his anger to proceed from his mouth as a fire. Verse 9, He bowed the heaven also and came down with darkness under his feet. He bowed the heaven also, came down with darkness under his feet. The description here as if he bent down the heaven to bring the heaven nearer to the earth, a symbol that God is close to us, helping us. Came down means God himself descended in his anger to execute wrath and vengeance on the wicked men. Usually, the manifestation of God was accompanied with clouds. So by producing thick and dark clouds, the heaven seems to come down to the earth because many, many layers of thick clouds as if he bent or bowed down the heaven. When we read the word came down, doesn't mean the change of place, but the manifestation of his presence and power to David. And darkness under his feet, uh, in Arabic, dabab, fog. And usually with the appearance of God, there was fog. The psalmist here seemed to express the appearance of divine majesty in glorious cloud descending from heaven. And there is fog under his feet. Many actually church fathers said verse 9 also about the incarnation of the Son of God. He bowed the heaven also and came down with darkness under his feet. And usually we say this psalm in the month of Kehk when we celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God. St. Augustine says, And he humbled the just one that he might descend to men's infirmity. So the Father humbled his Son, Jesus Christ, that the Son may descend to our infirmity to save us. Verse 10. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. This verse actually represent the speed of God's deliverance. The cherubim were first mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, when God appointed a cherub to protect and guard the tree of life. Also, the cherubim were mentioned in Psalm 68 and Psalm 104. Also, the cherubim were on the cover of the Ark of Covenant. And in the vision in Ezekiel, we have the most complete description of the cherubim in Ezekiel chapter 10. On the Ark of Covenant, on the cover, they actually, the two cherubims, stand on the throne of mercy with a platform between where the constant presence of the Lord is proclaimed among his people. The cover of the Ark of Covenant is called the seat of mercy. And there are two cherubims and here between the two cherubims God used to appear. The cherubim are heavenly creatures creation full of life, characterized by their speed, 
their strength and their courage. The sound of their wing is the voice as the voice of the Almighty when he speaks. So when David said he rode upon a cherub and did fly, means God is ready to deliver his people very fast. He is ready to relieve the distress of his servant. He rode upon the wings of the wind means there is no opposition, no obstruction. Like the difference between cars and trains, there may be obstruction in the road, traffic, but for uh, aeroplanes, there is no obstruction. So here is the idea. He rode upon the wings of wind means nothing will stop God from delivering us. Verse 11, he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. So God is represented here as wrapping himself in darkness. In this darkness, God hid himself in secret place. What does this, does this mean? Mean we cannot comprehend God. He is incomprehensible. So when we read he actually wrapped himself in darkness, this doesn't mean that God cannot see us, but means that we cannot behold his glory. We cannot comprehend his glory. So darkness here refers to our inability and our weakness, as if God is hiding. The earthly creation cannot see the nature of God or look upon his absolute perfection. We are able to see as much it is revealed to us, but no one was able to see God as he really is. No one has seen God. His glory is invisible. His counsels are unsearchable. His proceedings are unaccountable. That's why all these things like clouds, darkness, all around about him. We don't know the way that he takes, even when he is coming toward us in ways of mercy. That what verse 11 means. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick cloud of skies. Means we cannot comprehend him. St. Augustine says, And has settled the obscurity of the sacraments. Who can understand the sacrament? How the bread and wine change into body and blood? And the hidden hope in the heart of believers where he might lie hid and not abandon them. So the, the hidden hope in us as if he is hiding in darkness. In this darkness too, wherein we yet walk by faith and not by sight. The fact that we don't see him, but we believe in him and we see him by faith only, according to St. Augustine, this also can be the darkness. As long as we hope for what we see not and with patience wait for it. We hope for invisible things that are not seen. So things are not seen like in darkness, but we wait for it by patience. Verse 12, from the brightness before him, 
His thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. So, here God reveals himself by sudden light. And this sudden light, like the lightning, is the means of his terrible wrath. So as if a storm, there is darkness, clouds, wind, and then David saw lightning. Lightning means God is coming to judge the people. As we read in Joshua chapter 10, verse 11, and it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth-Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. They were more who died from the hailstone than the children of Israel killed with the sword. So here David, actually remembering what God did with Joshua, as we read it in Joshua 10, 11, the Holy Stone. So in this storm, darkness, thick clouds, fog, there is lightning, and then Holy Stone descend the, from the brightness before him, his thick cloud passed with hailstones and coals of fire. In Psalm 78, 47, he destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore tree with frost. So the psalmist here is describing the lightning as God's arrows that were fired to defeat the enemies of David. Some fathers interpreted this verse as the spreading of the gospel in the Gentile world. So they said the lightning is Jesus Christ, the brightness of the Father, as Paul described him. And he appeared to illuminate the Gentiles who were living in darkness. The thick clouds, this gross darkness, uh, represent the Gentiles who were sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. But this darkness was removed when God sent forth his light and truth. So the people who were darkening themselves now they are light to the world in Christ. Hailstones and coals of fire, the same gospel that was enlightening to the Gentiles, an aroma of life unto life to them, the same gospel was a source of death and destruction to those who did not believe in him like the Jews. So, like hailstones and tormenting, scorching, irritating, and provoking calls of fire, this was the test of death unto death, the test of destruction to the non-believing Jews and the non-believing heathen. So when God provoked them by sending the gospel among the Gentiles and calling them the, the Jews were provoked uh, by this like person is provoked by the lightning and they were killed they were destroyed because they did not believe in him St. Augustine who supported this review said the preachers of his word are not now bounded by the confines of Judea so he says the preachers, they are not only preaching Israel, but have passed over to the Gentiles. Reproofs are figured, whereby as by hail, so the reproofs of God to, the Jew, to Israel like hailstones. 
The hard hearts are bruised, but if a cultivated soil that is a godly mind receives them, the hardness of heart will dissolve into water. So he said, if the soil of the heart was good, then the hailstone will dissolve into water. And these frozen hailstones being dissolved means people will be satisfied by the doctrine. And the fire, calls of fire, means the hearts kindled by the fire of love. All these things in his clouds has passed over to the Gentiles. Verse 13. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. So again, it's a description of a storm. Spoke about lightning, now about thunder. So David said phrase upon phrase in describing the great work of God on his behalf to deliver him. So God moved heaven, sky, earth, sea to deliver David. And here is speaking about thunder. And thunder is often in the scripture described as the voice of God. When God speaks, heaven and earth shake. For he speaks with his word as well as with his deeds, with his action. And who can stand before him? Who can bear his voice when he thunders? The Lord thundered from heaven can also refer to the ascension of God. As we read in Psalm 47 verse 5, God has gone up with a shout the Lord with the sound of trumpet. So the description here, the fiery brightness of lightning in shape like burning arrows rapidly shot through the air will represent the most terrible part of storm. And before this storm the enemies of David were perplexed and overthrown in fear. That's why in verse 4 he said, he sent out, verse 14, he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe. So these lightnings were like arrows and it scattered his enemies. Lightning in abundance, he vanquished them. Lightning in abundance, and he vanquished sin. So he sent out his arrows. May denote the arrows can be the doctrine of the gospel, which pierce the heart of the people. For us, the believers, pierce our heart to believe, but in the heart of the enemies of Christ, for destruction. For the believers, these arrows make us submit to God for the enemies of Christ, for their destruction. For the enemies of God, these arrows will produce great pain and discomfort. And distress and torment, as we read in Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, when the fire came from the mouth of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation caused distress and torment. Also, these arrows can represent the judgment of God. The arrows can be famine, plagues, sword, which God sent actually upon Israel when they uh, displeased him. These arrows scatter the enemy. Means how Israel was dispersed in the whole world. Uh, 
when they rejected Christ, they were scattered in the whole world. Verse 15, which will be the last verse in our Bible study tonight. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. So, for rescuing David, the waters was divided till the very channels were seen. The earth was split till the foundation of the earth were discovered. So the description of the storm end with the fury of the wind and the effect of the storm on the earth's surface. So this storm caused the earth to split, the waters to split, the channels of the sea were seen. The idea is that by the wind of the storm, the water were driven in heap, leaving the bottom uncovered. Even the foundation of the world were uncovered. People seemed to be able to look down into the depths and see the very foundation of the earth. I think David described here when he used the earthquake, thunderstorm, lightning. He's taking image from the exodus of Israel from Egypt and how the Red Sea dried up and the Israelites can pass through it to the mountain of Sinai. The same image also we can see it in the defeat of Canaan under Joshua. So the message here, God will not only deliver his people out of their trouble in due time, but he will carry them in their trouble. God will carry his people in their trouble. So in in these verses from 8, 7 to 15, we saw the remarkable deliverance that God brought to David in a form of storm ended by scattering his enemies and delivering David. Actually, we'll stop tonight at verse 15. Glory be to God forever and forever. Amen.